Give him a shout of praise in this place. We give you praise, Jesus. Come on, church. We give you praise in this place. Come on, church. Give him praise. We give you praise in this place. We break through. We break through. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. We worship you, Jesus. We adore you. Hallelujah. We give you praise in this place. We give you praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Bible says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are brand new every morning. This day, every day, is just going to be immersed in mercy. The mercy of God, the goodness of God. When you put your head on the pillow at night and you, you close the curtains, those little blinkers over your eyes, and you rest your body from a hard day of work, and you get up the next morning, you get up into a brand new day that is immersed in the mercy of God for your life because His steadfast love is over every one of us. Hallelujah. This is the day that the Lord has made. It's full of mercy. It's full of His goodness. It's, it's showered with His love and with His blessing. Therefore, because of that, we rejoice, don't we? We rejoice in Him because of His goodness. He is so good. He really is. And what a joy it is every single week just to turn up, sing our anthems of love, sing our anthems of praise, our anthems of thanks to Him together. Hallelujah. There's nothing like being in the house of God with one another, lifting our voices up in thankfulness. Holy Spirit, we just ask you for these moments ahead of us now where we're going to come around your word. We ask you to encourage our hearts. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to build us up in the inner man. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know the hope of our calling, the true riches of life that are in Christ Jesus, that Jesus, you purchased for us with your very own blood. We pray that you'd give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are in this place to enrich your people. You are in this place to bring to the fore the abundant life of Christ Jesus within us. You're in this place, Holy Ghost, to comfort. You're in this place, Holy Ghost, to empower. You're in this place, Holy Spirit, to bring forth new truth, to bring us into truth, that we might know greater freedom and greater liberty and, and greater uh, life in Christ Jesus. You are in this place, Holy Spirit, because as your people, 
we magnify the name of the Lord Jesus. As your people, Holy Spirit, we have only come here with one motivation, because we love the Lord Jesus and what He has done for us. So Jesus, corporately as your people, you said, Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. We believe that you are here, Jesus, not because of any one person. We believe, Lord Jesus, you are here because we together are gathered together in your name. We are here in your name. So, Jesus, have your way. Jesus, do your work by your Spirit. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come on earth in Lower Dock Street this morning among your people as it is in heaven. Implant, Holy Spirit, the rich seed, the imperishable seed of the Word of God and let it bring forth great life and let it produce a great harvest in each life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. So be it done. Let's thank our musicians this morning. And before you sit down, before you sit down, listen, why don't you run across the hall? Run up to somebody on the tiered seating, run around the, the building and just welcome somebody to church. Get excited to see them. We're in the house of God. Hallelujah. Amen. What a blessing. I tell you what a blessing it is to stand up here every week and address the people of God, those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus. It is an honor. It is an honor for me personally to bring God's Word, to enrich you with the Word of God. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. You have been purchased with His own blood. And what I prepare and what I say to you, I do not say lightly. And I do not prepare what I prepare lightly because I tell you now, you have been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. You are very valuable to Him. And uh, the world that you live in and the people that you see every day may not communicate that to you. There may be a lot of messages around you that tell you uh, contrary things about your life. But when it comes to your life, as far as God is concerned, you are very precious in His sight. So I, I take that very seriously. I really do. In, in the prayer time that I have in preparation to the words that I bring to you, because I tell you, you are, you are bought with God's own blood, the blood of His Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, I don't know what half of the hall you're sitting on, what side you're sitting on this morning, whether you're sitting on the, the new side or the old side. We're having some new carpet laid. <laughs> they couldn't fit it all. 
They couldn't fit it all in one week, so we said, oh, you can, take it. you can take your time and do it over two weeks. But if you're on the old side this morning, next week you'll be on the new side, praise God. This side over here, they're living the new life. There's a message in there somewhere. And us over here, well, do you know what? We've got a bit of work to do because we're, on the old, we're, we're still in the old, old life maybe. That's it. <laughs> but next week, we'll have it all sorted. Amen? Well, we're still in this series of messages that um, we've been looking at over the last uh, number of weeks now, The Greatest Exchange. And over the last few weeks, especially, we've been looking at some of the wonderful exchanges that have taken place in our lives from being in Christ Jesus. Exchanges like going from death to life, from darkness to light, from being dead in our sins, fallen from God's glory, to being called saints who are going from glory to glory. The exchange that has taken place for all of us in Christ Jesus is so great that Paul summarized it by saying this in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 17, and it's not going to come up on the screen, but this is uh, a verse that we looked at last week. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says this, in summarizing all of the wonderful exchanges that have taken place for our lives in Christ Jesus, he says this in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There's no doubt in his mind. He is sure and confident about the finished work, the complete work of Jesus Christ for all of our lives. And his summary of it all is this, if you are in Christ Jesus, and I want to tell you this morning that if you have placed your faith in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're brand new. You're not an old creature. You, you, you don't have an old life. You're not trying to get by anymore. Old things and all of the old things that once characterized your life have gone, have passed away. And Paul says, all things have become new for us who are now in Christ Jesus. Over the last few Sundays, we've been looking at the first two verses in Romans chapter 5, if you remember. And in these two verses, we've seen how Paul wants us to understand our lives in a brand new way. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Paul has shown us our new position of life in Christ Jesus before God, a position where he says, if you remember, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And this is all because this position of life that we have in God as a result of being in Christ, it's all because of what Jesus has done on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And then rising from the dead, 
You see, it wasn't just about him dying on the cross. It was about him rising from the dead to justify all who would put their, their faith and trust in him completely as Lord and Savior. But as we now come to read verse 3 today, we're now going to see Paul move from positional truth to very practical truth. In verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 5, Paul is dealing with our position, our eternal position in Christ before God. But when we come to verse 3 of Romans chapter 5, Paul suddenly now changes the picture because now he is not talking about our position in Christ. That is settled for all eternity, for all time and for all eternity. But suddenly there's a shift in verse 3 as we will see in a moment. Paul now is not talking about positional truth. He's talking about very, very practical truth. He turns our attention to see this as he focuses our eyes on practical truth as well as positional truth from verses 1 and 2. How does this all work out? If we have a new position in Christ Jesus, if we have access by faith into grace in which we stand, that's our position. How does it work out practically in everyday life, in the everyday problems that we face and we experience? You see, what good is it, what good is it to any one of us to know our new position in Christ before God if there's no immediate day-to-day practical power to live victoriously. You see, Paul doesn't just want us to know positional truth. Paul were, and, and all of the other, po- the, the other apostles wanted believers to know that there was practical power every single day to access and to live from in the face of all of life's pressures so that we could live victoriously, so that we could reign in life, so that we could be more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us, so that we could do all things through Him. Practical power. The Bible, New Testament especially, on many occasions shows us wonderful positional truth, but I am so glad that it's balanced in its picture, in showing us the very practical power that we have access to. It's wonderful that we know our position eternally before God in Christ Jesus, but it's also wonderful that there is practical power in the Holy Ghost, in the life that Jesus has given us to live victorious, to reign in life, to to, to live a life of praise and thankfulness amidst all of the circumstances that come our way. So immediately after showing us our eternal position in God's grace, Paul shows us very practically the attitude that we're to take up in relation to the challenges and the difficulties that we face in life. Title of today's message is Your Problems Hold Great Provision. Your problems hold 
great position, uh, great provision. Your problems, my problems, hold great provision for our lives. I remember on one occasion, the Holy Spirit speaking to me very clearly. And he said this to me. He said, Dave, do you realize that you don't have any problems in life? Now, he said that because he wanted a reaction. And he got one immediately. I responded back almost without thinking. I said, Holy Spirit, are we looking at the same life? Because the life that I see is full of problems. No problems. What are we talking about here? No, Dave, he said, you haven't got any problems. I said, what do you mean? He said, you have not got any problems. He said, you have opportunities. He said, you don't have problems. You have opportunities for me to empower you in to see great provision for. Hallelujah. Man, that was a mind tilt for me. And sometimes when I think about it, it still is. A mind tilt. But you see, the Holy Spirit wants us to live victoriously. The Holy Spirit wants us to carry an attitude of confidence, not of self-strength, but of dependence and surrender and trust in God in relation to life's challenges and difficulties and pressures that we face. Yeah, we may face problems, but those problems, if we see them through God's Word and in life, in line with the Holy Spirit, we'll see them as opportunities. Not as obstacles, but as opportunities to see the power of God come into and see provision made for. This is how Paul lived. This is how Paul saw life and his attitude towards it. This is how he encouraged everyone around him in the churches to view the challenges that they faced in their everyday. And maybe for some of us today, we're going to see our problems in a new way. Not as obstacles, but as opportunities. Not as problems that, that overcome us and immerse us in worry and depression and fear, but as a means of great provision. Your problems hold great provision for your life. And we're going to look at this, and that's going to be a key thought that we're going to think about this morning and over the next few weeks as we look at various people in God's Word that faced problems that brought heartache that face problems that, that brought about all kinds of distress, and yet in their problems, as they trusted God, they found great provision. They found great help. They found great deliverance so that their problem became a means of blessing, a means of opportunity to see God's glory and great provision come in, in their way. This is what Paul shows us next in verse 3 of Romans chapter 5 as he moves from the great positional truth of us being in God's grace as a result of Jesus Christ to focus now practically on how this life works out in the very real everyday challenges that we face. Problems today that you face may seem bigger than you. 
the problems that you face today that you've brought into this place or you know loved ones are facing, they may have caused heartache. They may have brought personal distress and all kinds of anguish. But the great hope of the Bible is that it doesn't just leave us in despair. It doesn't just leave us at some dead-end point in life. It offers a lifeline of hope. It offers a lifeline of help to bring provision and aid and deliverance in the problems that we face. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to verse 5, Paul says this. Now listen to how he pictures the most acute problems that he's facing and that he's faced in life and how they provide such a great provision for us. Romans chapter 3, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 5 from verse 3 to verse 5, it says this. And not only this, but with joy. Let us exalt and be full of glory in our sufferings and rejoice in our hardships, knowing that hardship, distress, pressure, and trouble produces patient endurance, and endurance proven character, and proven character hope and confident assurance of eternal salvation. Such hope in God's promises never disappoints us, because God's love has been abundantly poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, this is certainly a new way of looking at things. This is certainly a new way of thinking about suffering, thinking about trials, thinking about distress and pressure. Paul is setting out before us a brand new attitude, empowered by the life energized by hope in relation to the problems that we face in life. This is a new way to see your negative circumstances, a new way to see suffering and distress and anything that would try to cause trouble in your life. Paul is setting out a brand new way to live in relation to all of the distresses that come our way in life. Most people would find Paul's words and Paul's attitude towards life very unusual because instead of resenting suffering, instead of resenting all of the pressures and the troubles that come our way, Paul calls us all to rejoice and be glad in them, to be full of joy and glory in the suffering, glory in the trouble. And I don't know about you, but when I initially read Paul's words, and I hear his heart, and I begin to see his attitude, I begin to think, well, that doesn't sound like very good advice. That does not sound like an attitude 
to approach life with. You know, when you go through a problem, you're looking for the nearest exit, aren't you? You're not looking to hang around in the crisis. You're not looking to, to, to stay long in the pressure. You're not looking to, you know, to, to extract any kind of provision from the acute situation that you are facing, that you're feeling vulnerable in. You're looking to run as fast as you can away from it. You're looking for the exit. But Paul has such a high attitude. Paul is so confident that he's going to find provision in every acute problem that faces him that he turns around and says, rejoice, glory, exalt in the very pressures and sufferings of life themselves because they have a way of producing things in you that are valuable, that are precious, making you more to be like Christ. And we'll look at that in, in the, week, the weeks to come, what these problems produce. But this provision, this provision in every problem that we face in life, and Paul wasn't looking for the nearest exit. He was an incredible man that lived for Christ, that had Christ at the core of his being. So much so that in Galatians 2.20, he said this, it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God that loved me and gave himself for me. That was a man that, that, that had his life completely come to an end and see the new life of Christ reign in him. And it gave him strength and it gave him power to live confidently in amidst all of the pressures and difficulties of life this life. The same life is available for you and I. The same, the same strength in, in our circumstances and in, in problems that perplex us and, and, and cause us suffering, that same life is available for you and I to access. When life's pressures are at their highest, Paul says, glory, boast, be joyful. <laughs> when life seems at its worst and you're at your darkest moment and you feel very weak, you feel like running away, it's then that Paul says, in all things give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Now, in the verses that we just read, Paul is very exact about the words that he uses and the inclusion of the little word in, in verse 3, is vitally important for us to see. Paul is very specific, he's very exact in the words that he is using. And the inclusion of this little word in, in verse 3, is so important. Because by saying, with joy let us exalt and be full of glory in our sufferings and rejoice in our hardship, 
Paul is saying something that most people would not want him to say. Paul is saying something that most people would not want to hear. Because if Paul said, for instance, we glory after the suffering, and when it's all said and done, and we're through it and out the other end, well, that would be acceptable, and that would be understandable. But no, Paul declares that we are to glory in suffering. Telling you God is giving you this word because you are going to discover a power. A power of the Holy Ghost is going to rise up inside of you. Some of us are going to be in some tough situations down the road, and, and we're, going to, we're going to be cornered. It's going to seem as if we're in a dead-end place. You're going to get persecuted. You're going to get hounded for your faith. But the power of the Holy Ghost is going to rise up inside you, and you're going to begin to rejoice. You can't defeat a person like that. The devil cannot overcome a person that is willing to rejoice and exult and joy and glory in suffering, pain, pressure, hardship, temptation, oppression, depression. When you stand up and rejoice in the midst of any and every kind of life circumstances, you're undefeatable. And you are undefeatable because your life is in Christ Jesus. The Holy Ghost is encouraging each and every one of us this morning. There's going to be times that are going to be tough. They're going to be tough, and it may feel as if you are on your own. But I'm telling you now, you're not alone. You're going to find the power of Christ rising up within you. And the very negative circumstances and environment that you're in, you're just going to, you're going to find a joy. You're going to be able to walk. You're not going to be looking for the exit. Where's the exit out of this place? You're actually going to be relishing in the hardship. You're going to get a revelation. You're not, you, we can't do this naturally. We cannot do this in and of our strength, in and of an, our own strength. But I'm telling you, man, you are going to, you're going to find the power of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is not going to let you down. The Holy Ghost is going to shine and glory. He's going to glory in you. Hallelujah. That's why the Lord is, is, is preparing us with this word, I believe. You're going, to jo- you're going to rejoice, you're going to joy in the sufferings and the hardship that you go through because you're going to find that your problems hold great, great provision for you in God. The inclusion of this little word in, in verse 3, is critically important. Because Paul says that we don't glory after the suffering is gone. We don't glory after we've found the nearest exit. No, we glory in it. We glory in the hardship. Now, if we cause hardship, if we cause suffering, if we cause pain, you're not going to find that rich blessing and life in the Holy Ghost. But when it comes upon you as a re, uh, from, from maybe, you know, an outside source and you've had nothing to do with it, you're going to find the power of God at work in you to strengthen you in amidst the hardship and the pain that you're going through. And Paul knew this. He said, in suffering, glory in it when it's actually taking place. That's what's going to happen. When all the, when there's confusion around you, 
When darkness seems to be besetting you, you're going to find another life at work, Christ's life at work within your life, enabling you to stand up and having done all to stand, remain standing in Him. That's what you're going to find. Sometimes it may seem easier to praise God outside of the problem. And it is. It's a lot easier to praise God when everything is going well. But you know what? Some of the greatest deliverances that people encountered was when they praised God in the problem, in it. That's when they found their greatest provision was in the problem. Hallelujah. That's when they, they, they understood the greater dimensions of God's power, the greater dimensions of God's life. Why was it that Jesus was always putting his disciples in bigger situations than they could contend with? Why is that? Why did he always put them in situations that they could not deal with? I'll tell you why. Because he wanted to show them their inability in comparison to his glory. And sometimes God puts us in situations that are bigger than us in order to show us our inability in relation to His glory. And as, as we go into those situations, the wonderful thing is they generate a dependence from us. And we cry to God, and He delivers us, and He comes to our aid. Paul didn't fear the future. Paul didn't fear any crisis. He didn't fear the pressures that would come his way. Instead, he praised God. Instead, he looked. He looked for the provision of God in amidst all of the problems that he faced. He had a radical understanding, a revolutionary attitude, an idea about life and all of its troubles. He never, de he never denied, you, you read Paul's writings, he never denied that life is hard. Paul never denied that life can be, can be cruel and unjust and unfair, yet his spirit was so bright. His spirit was so strong and unbreakable because he knew that if God is for you, who can be against you? Romans 8. He knew that. It was right through him. He didn't, you know, know it simply as a theological proposition. No, that very word was birthed from harsh, rigorous life experience. If God is for us, who can be against us in the face of everything, in the face of life's difficulties? I know that God is for me, and therefore nothing can be against me. I'm going to go through this, and I'm going to come out as the victor. Romans 8, 28, words you know well. Paul said this, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. And that conviction about all things being worked together for good by God 
made Paul glory, made him rejoice in all things, irrespective whether the things were good or bad, because he knew that God would work all things together for his good. No thing was off limits to give thanks to God for. Right in the midst of the most difficult, challenging times, Paul would glory and stay thankful to God. When we read Acts chapter 16, we see into a moment when everything that Paul believed was being put to the test in an incredible way. And when you, you read through the book of Acts, you see many occasions where Paul's faith and what he believed and what he preached was tested. And in Acts chapter 16, we see that moment of testing. We see a moment of, of great pressure, incredible pressure, where everything that Paul believed was being tested. Paul was facing a moment of life where everything was working against him. It wasn't uncommon for Paul for things to work against him. Most of the time, Things were working against him. They weren't working for him. Most of the things in life, as Paul lived for Jesus, were working against him. That should encourage us. And yet, even in the midst of things working against Paul, he retained a thankful heart. He retained a wonderful, positive, confident spirit in in God. The backstory of Acts chapter, 15, uh, Acts chapter 16 is that Paul and Silas had been preaching and sharing the gospel in Philippi. They just wanted to bless people. They just wanted to, to, to be heralds of the good news of the gospel. But then a moment came where Paul cast out a spirit, an evil spirit, from a slave girl. And then suddenly everything turned against them. The whole city came out, were enraged, and rose up against Paul and Silas, dragged them to the magistrates, and ordered that they be beaten. The magistrates agreed with the mob, ripped their clothes off, and beat their backs with rod, rods. I'd call that suffering, wouldn't you? I mean, that is suffering. That's not just circumstantial pressure. I mean, that is just, you know, physical now. It's gone from mental pressure and mental stress to being very physical. And they get their backs beaten, and suddenly they are thrown into prison. They're facing a very real problem. The problem is bigger than them. The Bible says, we'll read it in a moment, that they were thrown into the inner prison and their feet were fastened in stocks. What are you going to do about that, Paul? Everything is tightly shut up around them. What can you do in a prison? What can you do in the innermost prison? Feet fastened in stocks, 
their backs bloodied, beaten with rods. I mean, what kind of life is this? Just imagine the questions that could have been going on in their minds. We're supposed to be serving God here. We're supposed to, you know, we're supposed to have the favor of God on our lives. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I thought you said that, Paul. Paul, I I thought you said, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're not living in peace, Paul. We're in prison. We may have peace with God, Paul, but look at what is happening down here. We're in prison and in the innermost prison. This peace with God stuff, Paul, is not causing peace down here. It's causing trouble. Well, Jesus did say that we would have trouble in this world and we would be persecuted for His namesake, but to rejoice. Rejoice when these things happen because the Spirit of glory rests upon you. That's right. Well, the Spirit of glory rested upon these men. And the world did not like it. They get thrown into the innermost prison, feet fastened with stocks. But that wasn't their heart. They didn't question God. They knew that that suffering and trial and challenge and pressures in life were part of the package. It's part of the package. I mean, I'd love to be able to tell you, come to Jesus, it's going to get easier. No, come to Jesus. You're going to have to crucify the flesh. Your old life is going to die. It's going to come to an end. You're going to get baptized, and you're going to identify publicly with Him that your body has been buried in the grave. But when you come up out of the pool, that's symbolic that you are rising into new life, and the Spirit of God will rest upon you, and that will attract that will attract all kinds of hostility. Praise God. But in this world, even though we're faced with trials, we're faced with many kinds of temptations, there is a very real devil, there is, there is um, uh, real persecution that will face us. Praise God, we're on our way to heaven. Hallelujah. And we're not going to give up. Hallelujah. We're just going to keep pressing on soldiering on for Jesus. And you know that. Each and every one of you know that. It's not an easy road. No, the easy road is the broad road that leads to destruction, right? But Jesus said the narrow road is difficult. Well, He didn't just… That's the end. The narrow road, he said, is difficult and fraught with many troubles. And it's the narrow road that he's brought us onto. So, part of the course, child of God, is that you are walking on a road that is fraught with difficulty and full of trouble. But the narrow road leads to life. It leads to life. The broad road that everybody goes on, it leads to destruction. But on this narrow road that is fraught with difficulty, pain, and suffering, Paul tells us, hallelujah, Spirit of God in us enables us to rejoice, to be full of joy and glory 
in the midst of our suffering. Paul and Silas, incredible. I mean, incredible spirit. Start to pray. And the Bible says it was at midnight. That's when they started to pray. The darkest moment of the night. Started to pray and started to sing. We're so blessed to have musicians and singers this morning, but they didn't have any. They were just singing and maybe there was some aches and some, thank you. I mean, how do you sing when your back has been beaten with rods? How do you sing? I mean, how do you pray? Your prayer's broken. It sounds feeble. It sounds very weak. You know, you're in and out of tune, I reckon. When, you, when you've been beaten with rods 39 times, possibly, there's going to be some size in your, in, your, in your song, in your hymn. Yet, yet, their spirit was rejoicing. Suddenly, you know. You know the end of the story. Suddenly, at midnight, the very foundations of the prison shook. There was an earthquake. See, God doesn't, God doesn't respond. He doesn't respond to what we think He responds to. A broken prayer, a sobbing song that doesn't sound very good gets his attention, and he shakes the whole thing. And they find provision in an impossible problem from a broken prayer and a song that is sung through sobs of pain, sobs of sorrow. God shakes the entire building. All of the chains fall off. Of all of the prisoners, all of the doors open. They submit every, every restriction and limitation that man has put upon man suddenly submits to the very power of God that shakes that prison. And the jailer comes out. He's going to commit suicide, fall on his sword, because he knows if he's lost any of those prisoners, he's a dead man. Paul brings order, and he says, you don't have to fall on your sword, we're all here. And he leads the man, leads the man to Christ. Let me read it to you. Acts chapter 16, verse 25 through to verses 34. Beautiful, beautiful occasion where the power of God comes, and Paul sees incredible provision in an impossible problem. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosened. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, Supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do not, do yourself no harm, 
for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What must I do? Just believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. Their backs were bleeding, but that didn't stop these men praying. That did not stop these men raising their, their song that may have been full of sobs up to God. I tell you now, God sees how you've suffered. God sees the, 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 the pains that you felt in your heart that, that nobody, has, nobody else has known. God sees all of the, all of the anguish that, that, that you've had to carry and the heavy-heartedness that you've had as a result of life. But He's also seen you rejoicing. He's also see, seen you in the midst of all of that suffering, deciding not to give up deciding to, to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, author and finisher of your faith. He's also seen in the midst of all of those pressures that have, that have been pressuring you to turn the other way and, 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 and to walk another way away from God. He's, he's seen you resolutely make your decision and place your trust and your faith in Jesus through your prayer and through your praise of Him, there's provision, there's provision for you in all of that, and you're here today, and I know there's many people here this morning that could, that could stand here and, and recount times in their lives where you have gone through problems and pressures in life, and you did not know how you were going to get through that season. And yet, in the midst of it, you raised your voice to God. You praised Him and gave Him thanks, and He brought you through. And He produced something in you of His glory, of His character, of His countenance, and of His nature that could never have been done other than, the, other than through the problem or the point of pressure that you've, that you've gone through. Paul and Silas, I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close in, in just a moment. I'm going to pray. Paul and Silas rejoiced in the darkest moment of their lives. A moment where they thought, They wouldn't get out of. And yet they decided in the suffering, in the struggle, in the darkness, to lift their prayers up to God and to praise their way through it. Today you may be here. Your heart may be heavy. Today you may be here. And there's been a, a problem or an issue hanging about in your life. It's caused your heart pain. 
It's brought about all kinds of difficulty. And very much like Paul and Silas were restricted and confined in that prison, you feel restricted, confined, and almost locked up, unable to move forward or backward, unable to go on with your life. I believe the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning, directs you. Lift up your voice to me privately. Lift up your voice again. Just begin to pray. Lift up your song, even though it may be full of sobs, even though it may carry pain and heartache. Lift up your song to me quietly in my presence and you'll find that he'll shake that very thing he'll shake that issue that's restricting he will shake that very thing that you feel bound by he will shake it to its very core to those so those stocks fall off your feet till every chain is broken and you go free and declare his goodness and his praise there's great provision in your problem. There's great provision in your problem. For every problem you have, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for the Holy Ghost to step into and bring His rich provision for you to glory in. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word to us this morning. I thank You for Your precious people. Lord, I thank You that they are soldiers following the King. I thank you, Lord Jesus, irrespective of the land terrain that we walk on, whether the ground under our feet is smooth or rough, it matters not. We have decided to follow you, Jesus. Our eyes are upon you. We fix our eyes on you, Lord, the author and finisher of our faith, and the work that you have begun in us will be completed. Lord, we choose, like Paul directs us, to rejoice, to exalt, and to glorify in any suffering, problem, or pressure of life that we might face. We lift our voice up to you, we lift our hearts up to you, and we give you thanks as your people. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said... Listen, why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to sing before we go. Let's just give him a huge shout of praise. Come on, before we sing. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. We praise you, God. We give you praise. We glory and we thank you and we rejoice in you as God's people. Amen.